Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am here with my favorite person ever, Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today is the highly anticipated second half of our four-parter. <laughs> so we are in part three of the death of Kaylee Anthony today. And if you have not listened to parts one and two, please go do so. They were both very informative episodes. I was really proud of us. And you're going to get all kinds of stuff that's going to lead us up to where we are now. And if you don't know the case, you will get super confused. Just saying. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Like if you haven't listened to part Part one and two, you will pick up and be like, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. But before we get started, we do want to say hello and welcome to new listeners. Thank you for checking out the podcast, Returning Spooksters. Thank you so much for being here. We love you all so much. If you would like to hang out with us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Three Spooked Girls. And we have an amazing Facebook group if you would like the Spookster community feel. That is Three Spooked Girls Official. And we're also on Pinterest, TikTok all of that great stuff. Check the show notes. There's a link tree for you. It will take you to everything revolving around us. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by going to that link tree or going to patreon.com slash three spooked girls. For as little as a dollar, you get one bonus episode a month. After that, it goes two and up and that's where you get slaughters, which is just because twice a month, amazing bonus segment that we have. And after that, we are starting at $5. You get video content, which includes a monthly live stream, which is typically like mini episode-ish, and then also my Haunted Ground series, which is on haunted objects and a coffee recommendation for you. Coffee Talk has made me want to up my game with what I'm bringing those guys over there. Oh my god. Yes. I saw one of their TikToks, and it was so intense. Yeah. I'm still shooketh. Elaborate as fuck. So maybe like spring into summer I'll do that. <laughs> we shall see. But you know, you know, it's fine. So if you would like extra content, swag, all kinds of cool stuff, and to support Jessica and I in our spooky and true crime endeavor, you can head over there. I do want to add in an extra little announcement here for everybody. If you are wanting to send us anything to the P.O. box or if you would like to send us any listener stories, things like that, please try to do so within the next 
We're still in December when this goes up. I would say in the next month or so because once the snow melts, me and my family will be moving, doing a cross-country move. So Jessica and I are recording a bunch of stuff early so there is no break in any of the main feed or Patreon stuff because as most of you who listen know, or if you don't, main feed is twice a week. And if you're a patron, basically two and up, you get like three a week, almost every week. So we don't want to interrupt your guys' content and everything since I will be without Wi-Fi for a while. So we're taking care of everything early. So if you would like to submit anything, please do so. And then, of course, since I am moving to a new state, our P.O. Box will be moving. But once that's a little closer to time to me shutting that down, I will let you guys know for that. But listener stories, please, please, please send them over. Yes. If you've been hanging on to them for a time, please send them. We would love to be front-loaded with a ton of them. We love reading them. They're amazing. I enjoy the listeners episode. Oh, yeah. Because I get to hear these creepy stories that happen to people. It's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, which apparently now is the two degrees of Kevin Bacon. They realize that like he has done so much stuff, it actually like shrunk. It's crazy. One person sent in a story about their boss who had like made an encounter with Ted Bundy back in the day. So, I mean, true crime stories are welcome as well. Yeah, and Emily's where Israel Keys went to go do a deck estimate at their fucking house. So, you know. Right. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> and that will come eventually. That will come eventually. We had to get through Casey first. We will get to Israel Keys probably mm, summer to fall. Let me just tell you that because like in the next like month or two, Jessica and I are recording like crazy people. So that'll get us through like the first quarter of the year, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we know that like no lie. We sit down and we've told you guys this in the past. We sit down and we like plan out months in advance. We have planned out all the way through the end of April. It is going to be a fantastic lineup. Ugh. I mean, I can't tell you anything. <laughs> it's like I want to tell you everything, but I can't. There's a lot of great stuff and a lot of highly requested stuff coming as well, and then some lesser-known stuff. So it's like a great, great mix as we go into 2021. We're very excited. We're very excited for you guys. We are. But with that, we are going to take a quick promo break, and we will be right back. The Troubles was a 30-year period in Northern Ireland in which multiple sides and organizations were at war with each other. There were bombings, assassinations, prison breakouts, fanatical leaders, serial killers and much more. The Troubles podcast is a non-partisan podcast which aims to tell the stories of the Troubles in a digestible way. It's narrated by me and the episodes are non-sequential so you can jump in anywhere along the way. It's the perfect podcast for people interested in historical true crime. Season 1 has already been released and Season 2 will be released throughout 2021 and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts or by searching The Troubles Podcast on any social media platform. See you there. Hello, I am Christy. And I'm Leighton. And together we are a new podcast on whiskey tasting called Married, Married Mash. Mash. Where we discuss life, family, and pretty much anything. Yep, and Leighton brings a new whiskey for me to try. Will we clink it? Or will we sink it? Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And remember, always drink responsibly. Indeed. All right. Well, welcome back, guys. I am going to hand it over to Jessica to tell us our drink this week. 
So, in real time, it is the fourth day of Hanukkah, and we've talked a lot about Christmas, but we do realize that other people celebrate other religious holidays, and I've always been really interested in Hanukkah. One, I love the story. Like, I actually have heard the story about, like, I mean, not, like, a ton of info, but I know that it's about the resilience of a community of people and how they had eight days of oil when they shouldn't have even had one day. So I think that's quite amazing. And I love that it's something that people do as a family. And when Tara and I were like, what should we do? We were like, ooh, a Hanukkah drink. So I looked up and I found this blog post called The Eight Drinks of Hanukkah, or The Eight Cocktails of Hanukkah. So day four is a bourbon and blood orange martini. We're going to post it tomorrow in real time for you guys tomorrow. Hanukkah will be over by the time you listen to this. Sorry, guys. So fun. I love it. So yeah, definitely check that out. And okay, so we are now into part three of four of Casey Anthony and Kaylee Anthony. So quick reminder, since it's been, there was a week in between. In part two, Jessica walked us through Cindy's first 911 call when they got the car back and she's like, what the actual fuck? I'm calling the cops on you. All that shit. Mm -hmm. That's where we ended. That's where we ended. If you need to go listen to the last few minutes on that one, go do that and come back or we shall move on. So, obviously, one of the big things on their focus was, where the fuck is Kaylee? Where the hell is Kaylee? Because Casey has been dodging her parents this whole time over the phone, and now they've got her in person. So, they're like, okay, we need to fucking press on this because it's been a damn month since they've seen her. And, like, she lived with them. So, that's a long time. So, Lee, Casey's brother, gets it so it's just the two of them and is basically like, come on, Casey, like, what is going on? I can go get her right now if you want. She'll be home tonight. If you don't want me to leave you here, you know, at home with mom and dad, like, I'll send my roommate to go get her. We'll get her home and this will all be over. And Casey starts out deflecting on how Cindy, their mom, basically had called Casey a bad mom and said Kaylee was a mistake, but the best mistake ever and just being like, poor me and my mommy issues. And basically Lee's like, cool story. Don't care. Again, where the fuck is Kaylee? And eventually Casey breaks down, not emotionally, just ready to tell her bullshit and says that Kaylee is with Zanny the nanny and that she won't give her back. She states that on June 9th, she went and took Kaylee over to Zanny's like normal before work. And after work, she went to go pick her up, but no one was answering the door, so she called her and nobody answered. And then she said she kind of waited around because she's like, oh, maybe they went out and did something, whatever. And then she said it was about 7 p.m. that night and she started to get a bit, quote, frantic and started checking these neutral areas, as she described it, that Zanny would frequent with Kaylee, like parks and things like that. And after no luck with that, she said she didn't want to go back to the Anthony house because she didn't want to face her parents and the fact that she didn't have her kid. Which, as we all know, they would have dropped everything right then and there to go help Casey if this really was what happened. So instead, what does she do? She goes over to Tony's and stays there the whole time, as Jessica had told us. So Cindy is like, oh my fucking god. And she calls 911. So obviously, like, 911's like, what's your emergency? Blah, blah, blah. And Cindy says, I called a little bit ago, the deputy sheriff. I found out my granddaughter has been taken. She's been missing for a month. Her mother finally admitted she's been missing. Operator says, okay, what? There's, like, no amount of shock that this woman has just been told that the granddaughter's been missing for 30 days. Yeah. And this 911 operator, I'm pretty sure, has talked to Cindy a couple of times at this point. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure she's like, "Mm -hmm, okay, I know who you are. Yeah. (laughs) And so the story to escalate from, like, 
my daughter's missing to stole month. Like it's just been like a process and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah. And my granddaughter's been missing for 31 days. Yeah. Fucking crazy. So, and then it says Casey and like, you know, in the background or whatever, she's like, my daughter has been missing for the last 31 days. And Cindy says, my daughter finally admitted that the babysitter stole her. I need to find her. Operator says, your daughter admitted that her baby is where? Cindy says, the babysitter took her a month ago. I told you my daughter was missing for a month. I just found her today. I can't find my granddaughter. And she just admitted to me that she's been trying to find her herself. Operator says, and you saw her a month ago? Casey says, 31 days. Cindy, there's something wrong. I found my daughter's car today, and it smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car. I have not seen her since the 7th of June. Operator, who has her? Do you have a name? Casey, her name is Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez. Cindy, Kaylee's missing. Kaylee's missing. She took her a month ago. She's been missing for a month. Casey, I've been looking for her and have gone through other resources to find her, which is stupid. No shit, you fuck. And Cindy says, Kaylee's baby doll, her favorite doll, had smelled pretty bad, so I went and got some Febreze and I sprayed the doll. Casey, I don't know where she's at. Are you kidding me? So there was that. I mean, just, like, listening to that part of the tape, like, for one, they keep saying, like, June 9th, June 8th, June 7th, like, these dates. And she keeps saying she's been missing for 31 days, which would put it to June 15th, not June 9th. Right. And I'm just like, the whole time I'm like, I listened to this, I was like, Cindy, I'm going to say it later. Like, Cindy Anthony is all kinds of wanting to believe in people. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, she's just completely hook, line, and sinker falling for anything Casey says. Oh, yeah. So then Cindy calls back again and says, like, the same thing. And they're like, what the fuck? The operator says, what's the address? And so she gives her the address. And she's like, we're talking about a three-year-old little girl. Operator says, what? Cindy says, Hope Spring spills it out. Drive in Orlando. My daughter finally admitted that the babysitter stole her. I need to find her. Your daughter admitted the baby is where? And then, you know, they're getting Kaylee's information, like her name. And then, like, what does she look like? Her date of birth, that stuff. Then they asked to speak to Casey. And Cindy says, I called them two hours ago. They haven't got here. Casey finally admitted that uh, Zanny took her a month ago. And then it's kind of like inaudible. You can't hear. And so the operator's like trying to get her attention. And then she's telling Casey and then Cindy's telling Casey like, hey, they want to talk to you. Blah, blah, blah. Answer the questions. And Casey says, hello. And they're like, hello. Yes. And um, the operator says, hi. Well, can you tell me what's going on a little bit? And Casey goes, I'm sorry. And the operator repeats herself saying, can you tell me a bit of what's going on. Casey says, my daughter has been missing for the last 31 days. Operator says, and you know who has her? I know who has her. I've tried to contact her. So here's the thing. I swear, I had more emotion in my voice reading that than Casey actually had in her fucking voice when she's talking about her own daughter. Oh, yeah. She's so monotone. It was like Tara was so on point. Like there was so much life. And Casey's like, my daughter's been missing for 31 days. Yeah, that was stupid. It's almost like I don't care that my daughter's like, man, it's no big deal. And I don't understand what she thought was going to come of her pretending like it was no big deal. Right? They'd be like, oh, never mind. You know who took her. It's fine. Okay, bye. No, it doesn't work that way, Casey. You're a fucking idiot. So Yuri Mellish is one of the detectives who's responds to this and is a big part in this and obviously comes to like talk with them and see what's going on. And Casey is telling him everything I told you that she like said to Lee and whatnot. And she also tells authorities that she only told two people about Kaylee missing. Those two people were Jeff Hopkins, you know, that pretend boyfriend, and then her movie star friend, Juliet. 
I'm so like when they're they're like, how many people have you told? And she says two. I would have told every person I talked to. I would have been like, hey, my daughter's missing. This person has her. Someone please help me. And regardless of my relationship with my parents, if I thought someone took them and I thought they were a resource that could help me, I because especially her dad being an ex-cop, I would have been like, dad, I know we're not seeing eye to eye right now, but like, I fucking need your help. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But she didn't do that. So she told them, you know, these are the two people I told. But darn it, she doesn't have their phone numbers because she was having issues with her personal cell phone that had their numbers on it. And that phone wouldn't hold charge. So she'd been using her work one given to her by Universal because, you know, she, quote, works there. And she mentions, though, she does have the SIM card. And they're like, that's weird. You have the SIM card, but not the phone. Like, what the fuck? And she's like, yeah, because I would put this SIM into the other phone so then I could still access everything. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Let's put it in there so we can access this stuff. And she's like, oh, wait, it's not on the SIM. Their numbers were saved to the phone, which back then, like, that was that was a thing. You had the options. So but this is her excuse. I mean, even today, you can still just save your contacts to your phone. You don't have to save them to anything. But I remember back then, most people saved it to their SIM card because then when you transferred service, it wasn't like today, like you transferred your SIM card. Yeah, exactly. Or when you upgraded, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they're like, well, even though that phone's got like charging issues, let's go get into that phone because, you know, if we plug it up, we can just stand right there and get into it. She's like, "Mm, perhaps not. Because someone had magically stolen it off of her desk at Universal. So it's gone. And they're like, okay, well, where are they? Like, can we go talk to them? Are they in town? Like, are they nearby? And then she explains all the moving stuff that Jessica talked about, like North Carolina and then to Jacksonville and all that shit. So she explains that. And she's like, but I could probably get his number offline, though. Like, whatever. I just talked to him last week because she had been with him recently, quote, quote. And if I was Cindy, I would have been like, um, she was just with him. Like, she knows where he lives. You guys could drive to Jacksonville. But that didn't happen. Nope. Then they ask, okay, well, what about Juliet? Is she still here? Like, does she still work at Universal? Like, what's this deal with her? Nope. She had recently left about two months ago. She had relocated to New York. So she was not there, but she's like, but I could probably access the database at work and get her contact info off there for you guys. And they're like, okay, no problem. Cool. They're like, well, at least that's something. I'm just like so confused, like how these two people that she decided to confide in that her daughter is missing are the only two people in the whole world she can't get a hold of. Right? Interesting. Interesting. How did she get a hold? Like, how did she tell them? (laughs) Carrier pigeons. (laughs) So from here, they start asking her about Zanny, of course, because this is who allegedly has Kaylee. And she says that she met her through Jeff while she was pregnant with Kaylee. So she's actually known her for a few years at this point. She said going on four years and that Zanny was watching Jeff's son. And so when her friend who was watching Kaylee had to, quote, go back to school and couldn't watch her anymore, she's like, oh, let me have Zanny watch Kaylee because they are similar age and there's plenty of room for them to play in the house. And it's like a central location at Jeff's house. So this is perfect. And she first says this is around April 2006 when she begins watching her because she tells them, oh, she's been my nanny for like two years or something. Then she says a few months after that, Kaylee ends up getting watched by Zanny at Zanny's own apartment. Something to note is that later her time frame changes and she says late 2006 to early 2007 instead of April because April's definitely early in the year. So there is that. 
And that's such a huge difference. It's like spring to fall. Right. It's not like saying like, oh, it happened in, I think she started in June and then you look and it was August. I mean, that's like a whole fucking year. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So inconsistencies with her crazy ass lies. Then they try to get contact info for Zanny, obviously, from Casey at this time. And wouldn't you know it, Zanny has moved around a lot and changes her phone numbers and providers all the time. So she doesn't have the right contact info. And it's on that phone that was stolen. But... Don't worry, because I can give you Zanny's mom's phone number, who I think her name is Gloria. When they ask her name, there's like a long fucking pause, like long. And then she's like, oh, it's uh, it's Gloria. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Oh, God, I can't <laughs> I can't remember anything right now. And they're like, OK. So they're like, OK, well, uh, can you tell us about the place she lives or lived or whatever? And of course, she can't remember exact details. She's like, oh, the first one she lived at was like an apartment off of Bumby and Robinson and that she moved over to this other apartment complex. And that's where she's at now. And they're like, OK, great. What's the address? Well, we'll go over right now and go get Kaylee. And she's like, well, I can't remember exactly what the address is, but like, I can tell you how to get there. And I know it's apartment 210, which is on the second floor. And they're like, okay, that's some details. So this will actually help. Okay, cool. And meanwhile, they continue asking like, why didn't you come to the police before this or tell anybody? This makes no sense. And I will say, I'm probably sounding a lot more attitude. I'm a, I am sounding a lot more attitude than they were with her at first. Like they were trying obviously to help her and to be like understanding and stuff. Right. Casey's response to this is, quote, I think part of me was naive to think I could handle this myself, which obviously I couldn't. I was scared that something would happen to her if I did notify the authorities or go to the media or involve my parents, which I know would have done the same thing. Just fear of the unknown, fear of the potential at Kaylee getting hurt and not seeing my daughter again, end quote. I'm sorry. The police, you're supposed to go to the police. When people tell you not to, you go. They have ways. Right. If this was a real situation, those exact things would happen by you doing nothing. Right. Your logic just is invalid. Sorry, it's just invalid. Super counterproductive to your goal. I also want to point out, on top of them, like, obviously being, like, nice to her and stuff, they gave her ample, 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 ample opportunity to change her story, her written statement. They straight up even ask her, like, is this the truth? Do you need to change anything? Do you need to omit anything? We want to make sure we have everything correct, you know, making sure and giving her an out to be like, I'm lying. And she's like, no, that's the truth. And they're just like, okay. So, of course, they want to talk to the rest of the Anthony family, not just Casey. And also Tony. So at this point, he's like clued in what's going on. And it was the truth that Casey did not tell him anything. And she acted normal and she did all that fucking shit that Jessica talked about. And with all of this going on, she decides she needs to text. She needs to text him. She needs to talk to her boyfriend. And one of the texts she wrote was, I was put in handcuffs for almost 10 minutes and sat in the back of a cop car. The best thing and most important person in my life is missing, and God only knows if I'm ever going to see her again. I have two other texts that they have that she said to Tony. She said, if they don't find her, guess who gets blamed and spends an eternity in jail? I lied to everyone. What was I supposed to say? I trusted my daughter to some psycho? How would that look? And then she said, I was scared to admit it. I was scared something was going to happen to my baby. We're just blanking at each other. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's like this awkward moment where it's like, you would think of like all of the people on the planet that you would tell would be your significant other. I get that they had only been dating this point like two months. But still. 
Right. And you'd also think, and I get this, because Tony was, he was in college, he was a club promoter, you know, she wasn't staying at his house every night, but like most nights, you would think at some point Tony would be like, where the fuck is your kid? And I would think the easiest lie to tell him is that, oh, she's at home with my parents. Because I have a feeling like when Tony would go to school and stuff, like Casey would leave because when Tony left to go to New York. She didn't stay there. Yeah. Right. Even though his roommate was still there. So I have a feeling that it's like when Tony's not there, she wasn't there. Probably thinks like she gets up and goes and sees her kid and goes to work and all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. on like something, I'm just sitting here going, how much better life would have been if Casey could have just said to her parents, like, look, I can't be a mom right now. I need to go party. Like, this is what I need. And here's the thing. There is no shame in that. Honest to God, my mom was a young mom. And the best decision she ever made was giving me and my older brother to my grandparents because she just couldn't fucking be an adult and take care of us. And Casey had that option. Cindy and George would have taken Kaylee. They already were basically raising Kaylee. Yeah. It just frustrates me because it's like, I am, I mean, I am a young mom. I had my daughter very young. I had my daughter when I was barely 21 years old. So I'm not saying anything bad. Obviously, like in your situation, what happened was the best for you. Like, I know that. But like on my side, it's just like talking about like Casey. It's like, grow the fuck up. Like, grow the fuck up. You become a parent. It's not about you anymore. I'm fucking sorry. It's not. A thousand percent. It's about the fucking kid. And I was literally basically the same age as her. So I could fucking say that like, yes, it's hard being a parent at any age, but especially when you're like so, so young, early 20s. Holy fuck. It's hard, especially by yourself and everything like that. So, you know, it's like I just can't have it. I mean, obviously, besides the the obvious that she killed her daughter, I couldn't have any respect for her anyway. (laughs) Right. And I mean, and that's like, I think you and I have a very unique perspective because we have both sides of this coin, which is like, I have the perspective of being a child of someone like people don't get it twisted. If you knew if you know me in life, in real life, and you listen to me, and you knew my mom, my biological mother, like know that I love love her. And when she was in my life, when she was still alive, honest to God, I loved her. Tara saw us. We were like, we were like sisters. But my mom was not a responsible adult. Like she got into a marriage for all the wrong reasons, way too young, had two kids, fucking freaked out, and then left. That's the truth. Like essentially abandoned me and my older brother. And my maternal grandparents, her parents looked at like my dad, who I talk about, my grandfather, who I talk about as my dad, like had just literally less than, I'd say a little over a year before that, broken his back, basically walk with a cane the rest of his life. My grandma, she, I mean, they were in their early 50s, but they were going to be retiring and, you know, just kind of living out their life. And all of a sudden they had two kids plopped down in the middle of them and they took the charge. And I feel like Cindy and George would have done the same thing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So we don't like her for two different reasons, but it's the same reason. That makes sense. Yes. Oh, God. Anyway, okay. So, moral of the story, and as you guys can already guess, this current theme 
Casey is obviously making this already more about herself than her daughter. She's such a selfish person. We can all agree on that. Right. After this, another thing that happens is authorities and Casey, they decide to go roll on up to Zanny's apartment because they're like, okay, you can show us. Let's fucking go. And guess what? The apartment's empty. Nobody's there. It's completely vacant. So they're like, that's weird. And Casey gets taken home or whatever. And then another one of them, I can't remember the other detective's name, but like they talk to the manager of the complex to be like, when the fuck did this bitch leave? Basically, because they think she actually lived there and dipped because it's been 31 days. So that's a that's a legit that could be a thing. And, you know, the manager's looking through the database and all of that stuff. And he's like, um, we've never had a Zenaida live here. And that exact apartment that you're asking me about has actually been vacant since March. One of the first things I think about in all of this is that Casey Anthony didn't fucking case out the place she was saying her fake nanny lived at and find an apartment that wasn't empty. And then, like, I don't know, figure out who the fuck lived there and give them that name. Right. Exactly. All right, listen up, y'all. 2020 sucked. It's almost New Year's, which means New Year New Balls with our sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your man's family jewels and helping 2 million men all over the world get rid of their hair on their balls. 2020 was a rough year for everyone, for sure. I know for me that self-care did end up on the back burner. If it did for you too, as we go into 2021, it's time to treat yourself and your man. Manscaped has the perfect package 3.0 that has all the right tools to get the job done. Yeah, they do. Come out of quarantine with clean balls thanks to the Lawnmower 3.0. This waterproof and skin-safe trimmer will reduce nicks on your two best friends. The third-generation trimmer even has a light to give you the glow-up you need in 2021. Yes, that light. We are so obsessed with it. Manscaped even threw in their shed travel bag to keep all the goodies stored comfortably. And speaking of comfort, the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs are also included and are hands down the best underwear you will ever wear. I love them so much. They're so soft and they are so comfy. Oh, God. Yeah, they seriously are. They work great for men and women. Literally 10 out of 10 recommend those and their t-shirts. They are so soft. Definitely. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SPOOKEDGIRLS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SPOOKEDGIRLS. Happy New Year to you and your balls. So the next day, July 16th, or, you know, now in the actual daytime because they were there for fucking ever, Casey goes on another little trip with the detectives and they're going to go over to Universal because, like she said, this has all the answers for these people that I've talked to and has their numbers and (laughs) da-da-da-da-da. And also, fun fact, apparently everyone and their dad works at Universal because she said Zanny, on top of being a nanny, was also like a seasonal worker there. So, you know, there's all that. So she's like, oh, I could probably get her contact info there. Like, we're good. Let's do it. And on the back end, they already knew she didn't fucking work there anymore and all the shit. Because, like, obviously, like we said in the last parts, like, she hasn't worked there for over a year or so at this point. Two years. Two years at this point. She just never went back after maternity leave. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So they're like, you know what? Fuck this. We're going to see how this plays out. Let's just fucking do it. 
So they go, knowing she's full of shit, and they go check in with the security guard up front before they head up to, like, the offices, and she gives her name, and he's like, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't see you on here as a current employee. I can't let you go up. And she's basically like, what are you talking about? Of course I work here. My supervisor is blah, blah, blah. So the guy's like, okay, sorry, like, let me look again. And so he looks again, nothing. The supervisor was, like, somebody who used to work there but didn't anymore type of thing, so she's dumb and didn't know that because it's been too fucking years. So at this point, the security supervisor gets involved and basically, long story short, they get let up to the offices, right? I mean, it helps that she's with police officers. So like, what the fuck? If she commits a crime, they're right there. (laughs) Right, exactly. They're like, all right, go ahead. So they're walking through the office and Casey's being her you know, little bubbly social self that she always is with people. And she's literally, (laughs) okay, 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 guys. I laughed for like three minutes off recording about this and I can't not laugh again. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's so stupid. No, you're right. It's funny. It's hilarious. Guys, she's literally walking through all the little cubicles and however the fuck it's set up. And she's like waving to people, saying, hi, how are you? Acting like she's best friends with these people. These people don't know who the fuck she is at all. It must have literally been on their faces. I was going to say, I read some of them were just like, hey, like you guys can't see me, Jessica can see me, but like, hi, confused, hi, question mark. (laughs) And she's just like, you know, walking through like, ah, I'm Miss Popular here. And they're just like, and the cops are just like, what the fuck? Where is she taking us? Because we know she doesn't have an office. She doesn't work here. What is happening? So then finally they reach a dead end and she turns around and looks at them and she goes, all right, I don't work here anymore. And they're just like, yeah, we know, Casey. My favorite part of that is that some people say, like some, like one of the cops says that she giggled when she did it. Like she turned around and was like, well, see, I don't work here. And they were like, uh, what? So they set up another interrogation interview, what have you, with her and decide it's time to stop being so nice cop and confront her about all of her bullshit. The fact that she's lying that she has no urgency and not showing any concern about any of this with Kaylee and is basically just more worried about Cindy being mad at her at this point and what's going to happen to her than anything else. And the logic that she's trying to help and took them to her place of non-employment. Yes, and that she's straight up lying to them. And they're like, you're lying. And she's like, I didn't lie. And they're like, no, bitch. You said you worked here and these people are there. Like, no, you're fucking lying. And this particular interview is over an hour long. I listened to it and everything. Uh, It's on the sources page if you are interested in it. It's the direct audio. It's not video. It's just audio, but you can check it out. And the one at the house the previous night as well on the sources page. So obviously, right at this point, like it's not going to be murder charges or anything because they don't have anything necessarily pointing in that direction. They know she's a fucking psycho who's lying, but that's where we're at at this point. And so they decide to arrest her for child neglect, at least, so they can take her into custody because they were thinking maybe if we show her that we're fucking serious, you know, we can break her and she'll tell us where the fuck Kaylee is because they feel like she knows where Kaylee is at this point and doesn't want to tell. Yeah, I think it's like they think that she's mad at Cindy and George and that someone she knows has Kaylee. And she's just like fucking with them because she says to Lee early on, like, I'm vengeful. Yeah. But spoilers, this does not do anything really to her. 
So while in jail, she calls the Anthonys and is on the phone with Cindy. And right off the bat, it's the poor me, poor Casey bullshit. And she says, they're going to pin this on me. It's not my fault. And then she gets on Cindy's ass because in one of her TV appearances that she just had, she legit says like she doesn't know what Casey's involvement is with this because legit she doesn't. She doesn't know what the fuck's going on. I'm pretty sure she was asked a direct question, like, do you know your daughter's involvement? And she answered it. Yeah. Like, no, I don't. (laughs) Honest people answer questions. (laughs) Right. So Casey is starting to get pissy. And she says to Cindy that she just needs to get Tony's number from her because she has got to call him. And Cindy's like, what the fuck? Why? Like, we need to find Kaylee. What? What? And essentially, the phone at some point gets passed over to Lee, her brother. And same kind of fucking thing. She's like, I need Tony's number. Can you get it for me? And he's, you know, he's asking. He's like, what? Everyone's like, what the fuck? Why? Why are you worried about your boyfriend right now? Then she's like, it's all pissy some more. And then she's like, I don't want any of you coming to my bond hearing. Wah, wah, wah. I'm mad at you. Like, I don't need you. All that shit. And then we play pass the phone again. And one of their family friends who was like, I think like a childhood friend of Casey's, her name is Christina. She gets on the phone and this poor girl, she's having a proper response to this. She's crying. She's very distraught. You can tell. And she's just like, I will love and support you no matter what, but you got to tell us where Kaylee is. Like, if you know anything, you need to tell us. We're trying to help you. We're trying to get her home. You know, that kind of thing. And she's so patronizing. She's like, oh, honey, I know. Blah, blah, blah. But... I need Tony's number. Can you get it from Lee? Can you get it for me? Like all this stuff. And then so Christina keeps probing it. She's like, why? Like, was he involved? Did he do something? Does he know where Kaylee is? Does he have Kaylee? Like all this stuff. And she's like, no, he didn't know about it at all. I just need to talk to him because I didn't have much time before I got arrested in all this. And I just need to talk to him. Then Christina starts getting more upset and you can hear her crying and stuff. And Casey is like, oh, my God, this call was such a waste of my time. I don't know why I called and all this bratty shit. It's like, wow. Okay. God. This is not like a mother that would would be genuinely concerned about the her child being missing would be like crying. Maybe even if you are a stoic person, you don't show a lot of emotion. The conversation would most likely be around, you know, like I'm in here and I can't help find Kaylee. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, can you tell me like, what are they doing? Where are they looking? She doesn't ask any of these questions. She just wants to talk to Tony. And her family is like, this is a huge red flag that all you care about is your boyfriend. Right. Exactly. So, of course, police talk with Tony and his roommate, and they go over the timeline from their end and all of that stuff that we've already talked about. And, you know, like how Casey was a mother, which Jessica talked about, too, because his roommate does an interview with, like, ID or something. I know on one of the specials I watched, there's, like, a full thing. It's on the sources page. And they're just like, we were just kind of like, what the fuck? She's been missing for so long, and she just acted so normal. Like, they're shocked, you know? Also, fun fact, guess what? The police are able to track down a Zanny and they bring her in. She has this whole name. She has the whole name, right? Well, that's about it. That's done with the similarities. First off, Zanny was supposed to be 25 and this lady's in her 40s and she does not obviously live where Casey told them. This Zanny lives about 20 miles away. She lives somewhere else. She doesn't live in town. And they interview her and they learn that not only has she never babysat Kaylee, but she's never met Kaylee or Casey ever in her life. Like she has no clue who this is. And this is all true. They're able to confirm this. So that's not uh, a good look. So that just adds fuel to the fire for the detectives. And they're like, okay, we have this motherfucker lying. We're going to hone in on Casey because this is sus as fuck. Super. And along with this, they seize the car 
Casey's car on July 17th because they want to take a look at it to see if there's anything. And while they're there doing that and like Cindy's, I don't know, talking to somebody else or doing whatever, George pulls one of the detectives aside and is like, hey, I think my daughter knows more than what she's saying. And they're like, oh, yeah, she definitely does. We know she's fucking lying. Like tracking. Got you. They're like, we're doing our job. We know. (laughs) So they take the car. And when they do, it's noted that it looks like the trunk had been vacuumed. They also notice a stain on the trunk liner the size of a child's body. And there was these tiny little gnat fly things that essentially they're like attracted to decomp. Long story short with that. And when they are processing the vehicle, they take samples of hair, the carpet with the stain, some samples from the spare tire that was, you know, stored in the trunk. They take some scrapings from the wheel wells. And also they take an air sample from the car as well. Along with that, they also tracked down the trash bag that had the like maggoty pizza. And this was actually in the impound's dumpster. And so they, you know, they got it out, whatever. And then they get samples from the paper towels that were in the trash bag. And while they're collecting all of this, they also get DNA samples from the Anthony's at this time, and they send all of this up to Quantico. Here's the thing, like, there's so much going on all simultaneously. Just keep that in mind with this stuff. I just felt like putting these in boxes was easier to explain. Compartmentalizing. Yes, thank you, that word. I'm like, I can't say it. (laughs) I can't say it. It's fine. Uh, Anyway, so a bunch of stuff happens at once, but I felt like kind of like breaking it down was a little easier to follow for you guys. Okay, so while we're waiting on that and everything, obviously, Cindy and George, like, they kick off this giant search for Kaylee, you know, of course. And immediately this, because it's a little toddler, this cute little girl and this like, you know, quote, attractive, I hate to say that because I hate Casey Anthony, but it's like, you know, this attractive like young mother, single mom and all this stuff. So this is going to blow up in the media. Mm -hmm. And it does. The Anthonys reach out, more specifically Cindy reaches out to Tim Miller, who is the founder of Texas EquiSearch. And he comes down to Florida to help out. And in terms of the search for Kaylee, they have a big, big turnout. They actually had 4,200 people show up, which is amazing. That's so many people. And they actually search for four weeks. And they do this on foot with four-wheelers. They have divers. They have dogs. But sadly, nothing turns up. Along with this, the authorities also bring in a cadaver dog to the Anthony residence, and it is said that the dog, the first dog they bring in, has a hit to human remains in the trunk of the car. Or I guess they bring it to the car, excuse me. When they do take it to the Anthony home, they also get a hit by Kaylee's playhouse that's in the backyard. So to double check everything, they bring in a second dog on the 18th, and the dog has the same reaction. So, of course, they do what any investigation team would do. They dig up the area, but they don't find anything. So this discovery, along with the fact that they found hair in the trunk of a car, that's all talked about at Casey's bond hearing, right? And her bond is set to $500,000. And at the time of the bond hearing, the judge also orders Casey to have a psych eval done just due to the fact that she was not displaying any kind of emotion at all or just just like there. So they're like, "Mm, that's not normal. And those evals would come back to say she was of sound mind. She had no kind of mental illness, no mental disorders, anything like that, or anything to suggest that she'd be like borderline to have some, you know, something going on at all. There's like nothing. But Obviously, her demeanor's weird as fuck, especially because they were like, when they went in to evaluate her and talk to her, she was just her normal, bubbly, talkative, 
self. Like, she was sitting down for coffee or something. Like, not that she's arrested and getting a psyche valve. So, you know, they're just like, okay. And then basically they were just like, yeah, she's really immature for her age. It's like, okay, good talk. Which is like, people are immature for their age all the time. And yet they tell fart jokes and they pull pranks on people. They don't lie about the whereabouts of their child. Right. Now, a lot of people take note of the first visit slash call after the bond hearing with Casey and her parents. So this would happen on July 25th. And Casey, same thing. She looks fine. She says, hi, I love you guys. And she's smiling and all of this. And the big, big thing, though, is not that because we're already, I guess, used to that by now, is that Cindy goes, quote, Casey, we forgive you for anything you may have said or did. And Casey responds, I haven't said anything. Don't worry. End quote. Now, there's theories on what this means, and that'll come up like during the trial. I'm not going to spoil that part. A personal opinion, I don't think it's that. I think it's Cindy talking about the situation with Kaylee and all of that rather than anything else. Right, because people truly believe that Cindy believed everything she was saying. And so at this point in time, she's probably saying like, I forgive you for not telling me about, you know, what you did. Like you didn't tell me about Kaylee. And then I forgive you for you know, having to lie about having a job or something like that. Right. I have a lot of hot takes on Cindy Anthony, and I will reserve them for later. (laughs) And so they have like a bunch of calls and you can see all of the footage. So basically some other stuff that happens is that Cindy tries to ask questions and she's like, look, the whole nation is paying attention to this and trying to help find Kaylee. Her picture is about to be like on People magazine or something at this time. And Casey's demeanor changes real motherfucking quick and she is not happy anymore. And then Cindy also says like, you know, people are saying Kaylee's dead and Casey's just like, surprise, surprise, and rolls her eyes. I'm just like, bitch, I can't. Also, during a different conversation, they're talking about some photos of Kaylee that Casey had previously lied about and said it was, you know, they were taken at Zanny's apartment and stuff like that. But Cindy is like, look, I know where those were taken. Then it's just like a light swish and Casey's like, oh, yeah, that was Rick's apartment. They just they look similar and they both have drum sets. So whoops. And it's like, okay, Casey. And then there's like conversation about how they shouldn't trust Jesse. And of course, Cindy fucking hated Jesse. And so she's like, oh, yeah, don't trust Jesse. And I'm like, interesting. Why couldn't you? Because did he know something or was she trying to say that he did something? You could possibly be both at that point because obviously Casey doesn't want, she wants to deflect. So I was like, okay. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that like prior, like we talked about in the last installment of this, is that like she had texted Jesse and said, if my family reaches out don't trust what they're saying and i think a lot of it is is that like casey was like tying up both ends oh yeah so that if george and cindy called him he wouldn't trust them and vice versa if he called them they would be like no casey says to not trust you yeah that's a whole thing something else to please pocket when we get into jessica's episode next time is that there's this instance where george gets on the phone and he's distraught he's just like i wish i would have been a better dad a better grandpa like you know he's got regret and he's just upset and casey's like no dad like she's comforting him she's saying you are a great dad and grandpa and she says quote i can't put into words how glad i am she had both of you still has both of you end quote keep in mind she said that first of all second bullet point that's not the only time she talks about Kaylee in the past tense. 
Then into July 29th, they try to offer a case-limited use immunity if she will tell them where Kaylee is. But obviously, she's just playing dumb and sticking to her story. No, Zanny has her. I don't know. So, uh, you know, bye with that. And then, sadly, we would move into August and Kaylee's third birthday. And that time would come and go. And then on August 11th, this is an important date. This little time right here is as important to pocket for y'all. So there was this meter reader named Roy Kronk. And on this day, he had to pull over to pee. And he sees what he thinks is a skull in this kind of like marshy wooded area. That's fun fact, like a quarter mile from the Anthony home. Keep this in mind. But it said that him and his co-workers immediately got distracted before he could do anything about it because there was a rattlesnake. And then they're like, oh, my God, let's take the rattlesnake and go scare people at the office. I'm like, what the, what the fuck? No, no, don't touch that thing. Get away from it. But OK, this <laughs> 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 is <just> me. <laughs> no, it was like when I heard that, they're like, and he got distracted by the rattlesnake. And I was like, OK. But then again, he saw something that was what he thought could possibly be, but like not know what it is. Well, I'm not blaming him. I'm just like, ew, snake. <laughs> no, it was. It's a weird thing to be like, ooh, let's go grab this. No, that's not what we do. Yeah. So anyways, later when he gets home and stuff, this pops back in his head like, oh, God, I saw that thing. And he's talking to his girlfriend about it. And she's like, look, you should call the cops, like, just to be safe. I'm insisting you fucking call. So he's like, okay, I'll call them. Let's let me go ahead and do that. So there's three calls that happen over the next couple days. And I'm going to go through just kind of like the highlight points on the transcripts. If you guys would like to read the full transcripts, please do. But a lot of the stuff I'm skipping is like, you know, 911, what's your emergency? And then in one of the calls, it's him and the operator arguing where this location is for like fucking two pages. So we don't need to hear that. So the first time he calls, he's like, I called in a non-emergency line, but I got to you. And then she's like, okay, well, how can I help you? And he explains who he is and the route he was on. And he told them like, you know, he had stopped there in the two swamp areas. And he's like, telling her. And then he says, there's a stretch of road there that goes from like inaudible. One part of the road is down to the school and in between on either side, there's a swamp. And if you head back out towards the main road on the left hand side in an area, I noticed something that looks white and there was a like gray bag down there. I don't know what it is. I'm not telling you it's, you know, it's Kaylee or anything of that nature. And then operators like, okay. And they're like, well, what street was this on and stuff? So they talk about that. And he's trying to get her the address. And then so they establish where this is, right? And then he's telling them like where it's at in the swamp area and everything. And then the operator's like, okay, I'll let him know. He's like, I appreciate you. Thank you. And don't forget, I have no idea what it is. So I don't want to waste any more of the county's money, but I'm just telling you I saw something. And, you know, operator's like, no problem. They say bye and all of that. So that's the first call, right? And then the next day, he calls again on the 12th. He's basically following up and, you know, he says like, hey, I'm this person, da 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 da. He says, I called in yesterday and I don't know if this is what y'all looked at today or not, but on the way back up, I stopped in the middle there where there's a swamp. There's a, if you're coming out, there would have been a fence on the right-hand side just open, you know, swamp area on the left-hand side. I went down, well, to take a, you know, and I went down and there was behind one of the trees was a gray vinyl-like bag, like a pool cover or something like that. It looked rather suspicious. I didn't touch anything. And then a little bit further up, you can tell where someone ran across with the mower, but the weeds were still real high in that area. There's a fallen tree that looks like someone had just tried to cut it at one point, and there was a whiteboard hanging across the tree, and there was something around and white underneath it. And uh, I don't know what it is, but it didn't look like something 
something that should be there. And then they try to establish like the cross streets and the location. And then he's talking to her again about stuff. And he's like, on the other side of the road, there's a swamp right there. And that's where the gray bag is. It's a little bit down more towards the school. And then that area, it's all right in there. That's also where we found a dead four foot eastern diamondback rattlesnake. And that's why I didn't go any further into the swamp. And then she's like collecting his info, like his phone number and stuff. And then she's like, okay, I'm going to pass this up to go take a look for the bag. But I have another phone number for you that I need you to dial. It's a phone number to set up for anything to do with Kaylee's investigation. And then he says, oh, is it the tips line? And she says, yes. And then he says, I really rather would not being a county employee and all that. That's why I'm talking to you all. And she says, you can still do it regardless if you're a county employee. You can remain anonymous. And he says, not if they find a freaking body. And he kind of like nervous laughs or whatever. And she says, yes, sir, you can still remain anonymous if they find a corpse and he says okay and she says because we definitely need that uh, need you to contact the number because all the information is compiled there and if anything does come out of it we will see who has also called and put it all together so then he takes the number and the call ends And then the next day, because he calls again, this time when he calls, you know, he does this whole spiel like who he is, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know, someone is supposed to meet me here. I called the tip line the other day and they said they would dispatch an officer out to come out here so I could show them exactly where it was. But nobody's came. And they're like, okay. So they talk about like name, where he's at, all of that stuff. And they're waiting for him, right? And then so... Supposedly, this area was already checked. Spoilers, it wasn't, or things would have been found much sooner. They get, like, two officers out there, and one of them head into, like, the swamp area that Roy told them where the skull was, and he slips. And apparently, the dude was just like, nope, okay, I'm out. Too much water, not doing this. And he's like, there's nothing even there. This is where people go dump trash all the time, and this is well-known by everybody. So you probably just saw some trash, not a skull. He's just like, this is not going to be anything productive. So they decide they're done. And obviously this would be frustrating as fuck because like you're basically begging the police to come and look and then they get dismissive after slipping in some water basically over when they're supposed to be looking for possibly a dead child. So Roy is kind of like, okay, then they're obviously not going to do anything. So he's kind of like, let's it go. And then when he's done some interviews, he said they were like pretty rude about it and stuff when they were talking to him and just really dismissive. So he was just like, okay, I'm not going to fuck around like I tried three times. Right. Because people always are like, why didn't he keep trying? And it's like, if you've tried three times and nobody seems to think it's legit, you would just go about your life. Right. Exactly. And in all of this time, like, there's more visits with her parents and all of that. And her dad's like, hey, beautiful, like, you know, just trying to, like, comfort her and stuff. And she's like, I look like hell. (laughs) And she's, like, laughing. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Then they go into this, like, really weird conversation. He's like, look, you're in charge of everything. You're the boss. Imagine this whole situation is your own big corporation or business. And you're the CEO. And we're all of your employees. And you call all the shots and then she starts crying and she's like saying she doesn't have any say in anything you know like poor me poor Casey all this stuff and it's just really weird but I'm like okay Casey now as time goes along please keep in mind basically everything gets released to the public gets released to the media so in Florida they have this thing called the sunshine law and this is quote a series of laws designated to guarantee the public has access to public records of government 
Mental Bodies in Florida. And the law was first enacted in 1995. So basically, like, everything about this case comes out. That's why we can see so much of it. And that's why the court of public opinion happened so easily. Because <laughs> it's like, here. Oh, totally. I mean, everything. Oh, yeah. Everything. And in California, I think you can, like, go and pay to get stuff. But, like, there you just call and you're like, hey, I need to know this. And they're like, blah, 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 blah. I mean, not that, like, cavalier. No, but yeah, they will give you everything. So obviously, like, around this time, this is when, like, all the photos of her partying and all of that are coming out. And people are just like, what the fuck? And then enters a certain man from across the country that we got to talk about. His name is Leonard Padilla. Oh, Leonard. Leonard is from Sacramento, California. (laughs) He's my neighbor, but not really. No. And apparently had a reality show. I don't know. Only one I ever, like, knew, had any knowledge of was Dog the Bounty Hunter. So, but not surprised that was a thing. Not surprised. And according to him, Casey had reached out and said she needed help. So him and his security team get on a plane and come on over across the country to Florida. And Casey is released on bond on August 21st of 2008. And she is put, like, on house arrest and given to the Anthonys and must be there. And she's got, like, an ankle monitor and all that. And at this point, it started before, I'm sure. There's, like, people protesting all of this and calling Casey a baby killer and saying her parents are cowards for keeping her in the house. How could they do that? Where's Kaylee? All of this stuff. Like, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. People going through their trash. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just, like, fucking everywhere. And this is when Leonard starts to be like, oh, this was a mistake. So I don't know what the deal really was. So there was this weird thing where they're just sitting around and these pizzas start showing up. Like pizza after pizza after pizza start showing up to the house. And Leonard's like, there was like only a few of us there. We don't need two pizzas each. Like what the fuck is happening right now? And so he asks Lee, like, why y'all getting so much food? Like what's going on? And he's like, and he's like, who's ordering this? And Lee's like, oh, I'm ordering it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And eventually it comes out. No, no, he wasn't. And they don't know where the fuck these pizzas came from. And so Leonard's like, uh, bitches, you're getting death threats right now. What the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you eating this pizza? I would not. We're going to (laughs) die. It's not a cake. Fuck. Yeah. Because, like, Leonard put up her bail to get out. So he's, like, invested in her staying alive at this point because he, like, needs her to stay alive. They need to find Kaylee. And he needs to collect his $250,000. Right. And then he, you know, obviously at first fell for Casey's bullshit, but he starts seeing like, oh my God, she is a fucking liar. They are crazy. This is a whole fucking thing. I don't want to be associated with this. I'm out. I'm fucking out. (laughs) When the crazy cowboy bounty hunter from Sacramento shows up to bail you out of jail and then decides, you know what? This is fucking too crazy for me. People should have been like, oh shit, this is going to hit like fans we don't even know exist yet. Yeah, right? So <laughs> so he he's like, I'm fucking out. And then guess what? Nine days later, Casey's arrested again. And this time it's charges from Amy, the friend she stole hella money from with her fucking fraudulent checks and stuff. And so she's got like charges for petty theft and stuff like that. And Leonard's like, I'm gonna rescind this bond now and go the fuck back to Sacramento. Bye. So now the bonds from her previous charges and these new charges all get put together. And now her bond is at $503,000 and $200,000. So like almost $504,000, over half a mil. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And now I feel this was a good segue to bring up a familiar name we have heard before, Jose Bias. 
If you listen to our Aaron Hernandez two-parters, he was all up in that, as he was one of Aaron's lawyers at one point. So uh, we had some feelings then. If not, go listen to those. I can't remember if in that case I was like, if I kill someone, get him to be my lawyer. Um, I rescind that comment now. <laughs> I don't remember those so long ago. If so. I have this like weird thing. I said it in that episode, but I can't remember if it's like about him or about the other guy, like the prosecutor. Like I can't remember. I feel like it was the other guy. I hope it was because right now I'm like, fuck, somebody like punched me in the face. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the other person because I think we were like, ew, he represented Casey Anthony. Fuck him. So yeah, pretty sure. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so, 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 so. He entered the story a lot earlier. She hired him very early on. He was hired July 18th. He's going to really start playing a big part from like here through the rest of my part and Jessica's part. So it was like a good segue to bring him in. But before I continue, I do want to tell y'all about him to give some background because we did not discuss that in the Aaron Hernandez episodes. So Jose Bias was born on September 17th, 1970 in Manhattan, New York. He was one of four children. He had three sisters and they originally lived in the Bronx, but they would move to Miami, Florida with their mother after their parents got divorced. Jose would drop out of high school in the ninth grade and would actually end up getting a girl pregnant that he met at a nightclub when he was 17. Dear God. Yes. After this, he would get his GED and he would enlist into the Navy and get married to said girl. Okay. He would be stationed at Norfolk, Virginia for three years. After this, he would end up divorced by the age of 23. And after his military service up there, he came back to Florida and he would continue his education at a community college. And then he would eventually transfer to Florida State, where he got a bachelor's degree. After that, he would go on to the Thomas University School of Law and graduate from there in 1997. Now, during law school, he worked as an intern at the state attorney's office. But this only lasted one day because after that first day, he decided he didn't want to be a prosecution lawyer. He wanted to be a defense lawyer. So he's like, peace. Not for me. And then he gets an internship over at the public defense office. And supervisors and coworkers described him as being a very aggressive individual, and he wanted to fight in court. He did not want to take plea deals. A lot of people, like a lot of new interns, wanted to just take plea deals to make shit easy, but he's like, no, fuck this. He wanted to be in court and wanted to attack. And while he was an intern, he would work on 34 different cases. Along with this, it was also noted that he would cut class while in law school because he was obsessed with the OJ trial because of the defense team. I mean, they did call them the dream team. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, he graduated in 1997. And of course, the next step is to take the bar. This didn't go over so well for him. He would actually be denied admission to take the bar. And the reason for this was because of his financial history. He had $4,336 in unpaid student loans and over $12,000 in unpaid child support. And on top of that, he also had a bankruptcy on his record that he had filed back in 1990. So the Supreme Court would actually agree with this decision, and they stated Jose had, quote, a total lack of respect for the rights of others and a total lack of respect for the legal system, which is absolutely inconsistent with the character and fitness qualities required of those seeking to be afforded the highest position of trust and confidence recognized by our system of law, end quote. So womp womp. After this denial, he would continue to work at the public defender's office, but he worked there as a paralegal. He would also teach internet research to lawyers, and he had four business ventures during this time. 
Soho's business ventures were Bonbon Bikinis and BrazilianBikinis.com to sell bathing suits. So there's those two. And he also applied for a real estate license and was said to create two companies selling computer, quote, know-how. And those were LawStudentWebsites.com and Lawyer Concepts. Then it was noted by state record that in 2001, he created a nonprofit group called the Miami Domestic Violence Project. It only lasted two years. He had a spokeswoman named Mackenzie, and she basically was like, it disbanded because there was another group with basically the same name and identical purpose, and it already existed. So makes sense. Yeah. And then in 2004, he did another nonprofit in Miami called Miracles for Children Foundation Corp. And that continued until September 16th of 2005. And then he wanted to go after the bar again. He was approved and allowed to finally practice law on September 22nd of that year. The board did a review and everything, and their ruling was that he had, quote, rehabilitated himself. Along with all the previous actions I mentioned, it was also mentioned that he was paying child support since 2004. Originally, his child support was like $200 a month, but it got set up through the Miami court system to garnish his wages at $550 a month to not only pay, but also help with the back pay. So he had been doing that since 2004. So there's all that. So now he's a lawyer. This is only three years before he took on the Casey Anthony case. So he's he's new at this. And he had done cases that fell under like domestic violence, prostitution, and it was noted he had taken on five murder cases at this point. So people were kind of skeptical about this. He was a newbie. They were like, this dude's going to be in over his head, that kind of thing. But that's enough about him and his life. We're going to scoot on over now. But we needed this background. So here we go. Okay, y'all will learn or might already know Jose loves, loves to talk. He loves to talk. He does and did tons of interviews. So after her second arrest, he had been quoted saying, they decided to make a spectacle of the event. They chose this moment to grandstand and to utilize their power to go ahead and make an arrest on something they knew two months ago. Like, boo-hoo, poor Casey. It's like, mm, nobody feels fucking bad for you. Sorry. <laughs> then on to September 1st, the Orange County Sheriff's Department, they have a press conference and they say that there is a, quote, strong probability that Kaylee is deceased. And we'll get into that in a minute. Four days after this, Casey makes bond again. And it's noted this time was due to the efforts of two local bondsmen and then an anonymous donor who contributed 50K. That's a lot. That is a lot. That is a fucking lot. Then on October 2nd, Casey would be named a suspect in Kaylee's disappearance and then charged on the 14th with first-degree murder. And at this time, she is also charged with aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter, and providing false information to law enforcement. Then just 10 days later, on October 24th, results would be released from the samples that came back that there was high levels of chloroform in the air from the trunk and in the car. And in terms of the hair being tested, it was said that, quote, a Caucasian head hair found characteristics of apparent decomposition, end quote. And they had also done mitochondrial testing, and it was possible that this could be Kaylee's. This is, like, key to being like, yeah, Kaylee's passed on to help with the arrest. So we're going to flash forward here to December 11th. This is fucking rough, guys. Like, this is rough. So re-enter Roy Cronk. He 
pulled over to pee again in the same spot he had previously, and he would end up finding the skull again. This time, he said he used a stick to kind of move things around to make sure it was what he thought he saw. It was. So he immediately called his supervisor, who turned around and called 911, of course. This would, in fact, be Kaylee's remains. They would find her skull and her bones scattered in like a small radius, which would later be indicated to have been disturbed by animals due to like the pattern and the markings on her bones and like how they had been broken up and stuff. Her skull would have three pieces of duct tape on it that covered from over her nose to her mouth and like onto her jawline. And this would be the only reason the jawbone was actually still intact. If it wasn't there, it wouldn't be, which this would suggest that it had been placed on either before Kaylee passed away or shortly after, but before any kind of decomp happened. And on the duct tape, there was sticker residue in the shape of a heart, so like a heart sticker placed on the duct tape. And when I was reading this and stuff, it made me think of, you know, remember like with tanning beds, those stickers they would have? It reminded me of like those little stickers, you know? Mm-hmm. Along with Kaylee's remains, they would also find that it had been partially or like what wasn't disturbed wrapped in a blanket with Winnie the Pooh on it. There would also be a canvas laundry bag, two trash bags, which were like torn, obviously, since the animals had gotten in there. And Kaylee's shirt and shorts had been found at the scene, too. The Florida environment with like its humidity and the high heat and everything like that was said to have kind of sped up the decomp process. So when they had found her, there was no tissue at all. It was just skeletal remains at this point. And then there was like pieces so small that one of the people said that some of the shards were so small, they were smaller than like your pinky nail, but they were like so meticulous, they made sure to like get it all. You know, they were like combing through very carefully. They were able to send in the tibia shin bone for testing, and that would take about a week. It was also noted that there was roots growing into the bone from the local vegetation, which was explained by Dr. Jan Vargalia, or Dr. G, as I'll call her, because that's easier to say. She said that this would suggest that Kaylee had been there since the beginning of her decomp, because, like, plants aren't going to root and grow in tissue, obviously. They're going to only do it in, like, dry, dry bone, which was the case here. And Dr. G is like the, she was the head medical examiner during all of this and did all the testing on her bones and stuff, like, you know, sent it off and examined it and stuff. She would note there was no traumatic injuries present on Kaylee at all on, you know, the body, skull or anything. And the DNA testing would come back by the 19th to confirm like, yes, this was Kaylee. Along with this, samples had been sent up for toxicology, which was said by Dr. G to be tricky because, like, at this point, normally when you do a toxicology thing, you're submitting tissue, maybe marrow, things like that. But that was all gone. None of that was present. She's like, but I had to try because this is a little three-year-old girl. I had to try. And basically, they wanted to check for the chloroform because that popped up in the other stuff. And she was like, I was hopeful. Uh, There's a really good special that's based around her that's going to be on the sources page. Like, definitely recommend watching it. It was really, really good. She's like, obviously, I was hopeful, but I, being realistic, I wasn't expecting there to be much because 
chloroform, it can last in the air of a confined space, so like a trunk, for over a month. But in terms of the body, it's only a few days. So she's like, even if it was there, it would definitely be gone. But she's like, you know what? We still had to try. And she even had to, like, go through a bunch of avenues to find someone who would actually take the time to do it, you know? And they found a doctor that was, like, very prestigious. I think he was from, like, Tennessee or something and had him do it. But when the results came back, there was no traces. But with all of that, though, the fact that she ended up wrapped up in a blanket with all those other bags and stuff with the duct tape on her mouth can have her say that all of that suggests this was a homicide, even without the definitive cause of death, which is important. And she does a press conference also on the 19th and goes through all of that. Other things to note when they did all this to please keep in your brain. So I mentioned the Winnie the Pooh blanket, which would match Kaylee's stuff in her room. And the canvas bag was actually from a like a dual set, like a two pack, right? The other one that matched it was in the Anthony home, its partner. Obviously, like we talked about during all of this, Casey was like, no emotion, no nothing, whatever. Besides when it's like, poor me, let me fake cry. But it was caught on camera and stuff and people obviously saw that when the news broke out about the remains and everything that Casey was hyperventilating, she was like bent over crying, she was flipping the fuck out, right? Some people say that this had to do with the fact that it made it real to her that Kaylee was dead. Maybe she was like in some la-la land type of thing. Or that she was crying for herself because of what she had done and now she was caught and now she was going to be fucked, quote, quote. Could have been both at that point. I don't know. They said that, like, that part happened, like, before, like, that's when they found the remains. Yes, before they said it was 100% Kaylee. So they're like, well, why are you freaking out so much? Because there's a chance that might not be her. I mean, the probability was really high. We're talking with walking distance of the home of Kaylee. A quarter mile. Yeah. Yeah. It was so close. Like, they were like, you could be there in five minutes from her house. You know, the fact that they find this little toddler, it wasn't looking good. But at the same time, you don't know. You never know. Mm-hmm. 100%. So I have just a few more things to go over here for part three for us. So I want to flash forward to January 23rd of 2009. This is when George writes a suicide note and is going to attempt to take his own life. It is important to kind of talk about. So I have an excerpt of his letter that I want to read real quick. He addressed this to Cindy. It says, Cynthia Marie, as you get this letter, this should be no surprise that I've decided to leave Earth because I need to be with Kaylee Marie. I cannot keep going because it should be me that has gone from this Earth, not her. I've lived many years and I'm satisfied with my decision because I've never been the man you, Lee, Casey, and especially Kaylee Marie deserved. I've never been the man any of you could count on. I've always let each of you down in more ways than I could remember. I do not feel sorry for myself. I'm just sorry I burden all of you the way I have. My loss of life is meaningless. I cannot be strong anymore. Kaylee Marie, our granddaughter, I miss her. I miss her so much. I know you do too. You were always the one that provided for her. What did I provide? I blame myself for her being gone. You know, for months, as a matter of fact, for a year or so, I brought stuff up only to be told not to be negative. I sit here falling apart because I should have done more. She was so close to home. Why was she there? Who placed her there? Why is she gone? Why? For months, you and I, especially you, questioned why. 
I want this to go away for Casey. What happened? Why could she not come to us? Especially you. Why not Lee? Who was involved with this stuff for Kaylee? I'm going crazy because I want to go after these people Casey hung with prior to Kaylee being gone. That is why I got that gun. I wanted to scare these people. You know, they know more than they have stated. You cannot sugarcoat it. Kid glove these people. They need hard knocks to get info from. Sure, that will not bring Kaylee Marie back, but was Casey threatened? You know, Casey does not deserve to be where she is. I miss her. I miss her so much. I'm worried for her. Her personal safety is always on my mind. I cannot function knowing our granddaughter is gone. Kaylee Marie never got a chance to grow. I have taken what meds was given to me with alcohol and I'm ready to give up. As you can tell by my writing and thinking I'm getting very stupid. Wow, what a word, stupid. Yes, I am. Again, I do not feel sorry for myself, but yes, I am stupid. Cannot deal with stuff anymore. The loss of Kaylee Marie, the loss of Casey, the loss of us, Cynthia Marie, the meds, I'm ready. Saying goodbye, please understand it is for the best. I do not deserve life anymore. Anymore us. You know, I never got to say goodbye. I'm at this place and all is getting fuzzy. My writing is all over the place. I love you. I love you. I hope you get to see Casey soon. All the people we met. Wow, the writing is getting weird. I love you. I'm sorry. I will take care of Kaylee once I get to God. I am so tired. At least I shaved today. Wow, I'm tripping out. I'm sorry. I love you, Cynthia Marie. Kaylee, here I come. So there's that. George obviously did not pass. And there's a lot of speculation with that that goes into what the defense says happened. So I kind of just wanted to like implant the letter into your guys' brain so you knew what they were talking about. Mm. So we have a couple more key things that happened before the trial begins. So on April 13th of 2009, the death penalty is announced that that's what Casey could be facing. And on June 19th of 2009, Kaylee's autopsy is like revealed and all of that. And this is when the defense motions to take the death off the table. But the judge is like, nope. And now and then flash forward to April 6th, 2010, which I'm like, oh, April 6th, that's Matt's birthday. (laughs) Oh, happy birthday. Right. So you guys might remember Jessica talked about how Casey would like write letters to her like cell, like not cellmates, but like to other inmates and talk to them about all that stuff and giving Kaylee the medication. Yeah. This all is coming out and all of that to the public. And then you said that thing's on like YouTube or something, right? Like the interview and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a four part on there. If I remember correctly, I put them all in either the first, my first round of info, I believe I did. If not, they will be with this time source. And then on April 19th of that year, the judge that has been through all of this, his name is Stan Strickland. He actually steps down because the defense had put in a motion to have him removed, saying he was biased with this whole thing because he was friends with this blogger. And that literally all he mentioned was like, I'm glad this person said, don't come at her parents. They're humans. Like, leave them alone type of thing. Like, it was basically something like that. And they're like, oh, he's biased. Oh, he's biased. He basically said that this one blogger was being really fair and he was like one of the only media outlets that wasn't attacking Cindy and George. Mm -hmm. And then the reason he had to step down was because he heard the guy was sick because he started reading his blog. Yeah. And then he called the guy to be like, hey, dude, I heard you were sick. I'm really hope you get better. And then that got reported, which that's a (laughs) boo-boo. Yeah, yeah. So he stepped down and he would be replaced by Judge Belvin Perry. And then on July 15th, 2010, this is the evidentiary hearing, also the second anniversary for when Kaylee was reported missing. So a lot of emotions and stuff going on, of course. 
Cindy, when she's up on the stand and stuff, she tries to retract saying the dead body comment and is like, it's not really anything to take stock of. It's just a figure of speech, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, please don't allow it in trial. And they're like, uh, fuck that. We're going to allow that be in the trial. Like, the fuck you mean? That isn't the figure of speech. Yeah. The figure of speech that people say is it smells like something died in there. Yeah. Like, I don't know, people, please correct me if I'm the one who's wrong here, but I have never heard anyone go, oh my god, it smells like there was a dead body in the car. I have heard, oh my god, it smells like something died in there, because the likelihood that you hit an animal or an animal crawled up into the car and died is bigger than, like... A human. Right. Yeah. And then that September, on September 14th, Casey adds on three more lawyers to her defense team. And then it says that they uh, worked for, quote, pro bono with her. (laughs) And then jury selection will take place on May 9th. And this lasts for 11 days in Clearwater, Florida. And this is going to be where we end because in part four, Jessica's going to tell us all the tea with the trial and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate you and love you so much. We are very happy that you guys are, I hate to say enjoying, but we have not come up with another verb, that you guys are giving us positive feedback. There we go. About this series. And yeah, we will see you on Thursday for part four. Bye, guys. Bye.